The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Apollo 13, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in this 1995 movie. Joining me today on the panel are Mike Dens. Hey, Mike. Hey, good to be here. And Joanne Mercier. Hello, Joanne. Hey, Dom. And Shelly Kelly. Hi, Shelly. I'm doing great. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good, good. Thanks. Folks, I want to tell you to uh, write a review of the show at Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends. That helps us grow the show, reach more people. And that's what we're all about, uh, having a, a bigger community of listeners. We really do appreciate that when you do it. I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Wars. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. And finally, I want to tell you, about a new thing we've got here at SQPN for our community call. It's our SQPN StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And it's a gathering place for the community where you can get together and talk with other listeners and fans about the different shows. You can ask us questions. A lot of us are on there interacting with the listeners who show up there. So uh, definitely check it out. And uh, we hope to see you there. Okay. We're talking tonight, though, about this particular movie, Apollo 13, which, as I said, came out in 1995, directed by Ron Howard with an all-star cast. And it is about the true story. It's based on a true story about the events of Apollo 13 in 1970, where April, right about now, as you're listening to this, April 11th, 1970, where uh, it launched and that had the, uh, on the way to the moon and had this problem, this accident most of the way there, and they had to uh, try to describe how, how to describe it. They had to get home alive using a spit and bailing wire and whatever ingenuity they could come up with, and it was a near thing. And so it's a movie that stars Tom Hanks and uh, you know uh, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton, Ed Harris, Gary Sinise. It's an all-star cast. Um, now I got to tell you guys, the, I was looking at the dates of this of the movie of the events it portrays. From 1970 to 1995 was 25 years. From 1995 to 2022 is 27 years. It has been longer. Did not have to tell me. (laughs) It has been longer since this movie than it was from the movie to the events it portrays. That's kind of a a mind blowing Mm -hmm. thing. Wow. Now, what's mind blowing is I'm the one I'm the only one in this group who actually watched it. <laughs> well, it's not, another... not the movie, but the event itself. We Correct. all watched it. Yes, <laughs> I've well, seen every, I've seen it all. That's going to be a great perspective because I actually I'm, I'm glad you're, you, you 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 tell me that because I want to hear your perspective comparing what you're seeing here with what you might remember uh, having seen it when it happened. Um, but uh, Shelley, you also have an interesting perspective on these events. Can you tell us a little bit about why? you might have a little interesting uh, more to know about the, what's going on here. Well, Dom, from uh, 2001 to 2012, I worked at the University of Houston, Clear Lake. And at the time, we were the repository, that they still are, for the Johnson Space Center History Collection. And so that means that we had all of the official records or a duplicate copy of what's in the National Archives 
of the Apollo ASTP Skylab's uh, space shuttle development and early space shuttle launch testing and uh, some center and general reference series. We also had all the oral histories that were recorded by the JSC Oral History Program. And so a lot of these men and that were are portrayed in this movie, they're real people, of course, and their oral histories were housed at UH Clear Lake. Um, they're all available online. A lot of this material is now available digitally. And so I actually met <laughs> and talked to several of the people that are are represented here in the movie. That's pretty awesome. That's really cool. And the the movie itself, and and I'm going to rely on you on you both to you know kind of help the, to uh, let us know where the movie might uh, vary from the actual events. But the movie itself is based on. I, I know there's there's definitely stuff that varies, but uh, but the movie's based on a book by Jim Lovell, the the who was the commander of the mission, um, uh, Lost Moon. It's called. It was the book. And uh, so and Jim Lovell himself shows up in the film in a cameo appearance as the captain of the USS Iwo Jima when the uh, when they at the end of the movie. So, um, yeah. So his, his wife, his wife is a cameo also. She's in the um, watch party during the launch. Oh. But did you know how the book actually came to the attention of Ron Howard? No. How did it? OK, so Jim Lovell started writing his memoirs in the early 90s and he. Um, he joined forces with a journalist and together they pitched it to some publishing agents and it caught the attention of a man in Hollywood who worked for Ron Howard. His name was Michael Bostick. Well, oh, Michael's yeah. father is Jerry Bostick. He's a former NASA flight controller. And I think I'm going to mess it up. I think he was flight dynamics officer or FIDO during Apollo 13. And yes. so he's the one that took it to Ron Howard and said, you gotta, you gotta do this. And, um, Together, they Ron Howard hired two more people with Houston connections. That's William Broyles Jr., uh, who founded Texas Monthly Magazine, which is real popular now. And um, Jerry Bostick actually served as a technical advisor on the film, along with another flight director named Glenn Lunny. Um, and um, I forgot who it was that that picked up. I think Jerry Bostick is the one who's actually responsible for the fictional line, failure is not an option. Uh -huh. Gene Krantz never said failure is not an option. Um, but right. I'll, I'll hold that story until we get to that part while okay. we're talking about the movie. Okay, so. good. So the other thing you know, I want to mention is just like a little bit of behind the scenes of a lot. This was the, they did a lot of weightless, um, weightlessness in this one where they look, you know, things are floating around them. They didn't do it with wires in this one. And it was way before you could do it with CG like you could do today. They filmed this aboard what is colloquial known as the Vomit Comet, which is the specially outfitted um, aircraft that flies parabolas, like goes straight up and then straight down. And on the way down is when you're weightless for several minutes. And so they filmed all those scenes several minutes at a time while the plane is nose diving to the earth. Oh, wow. Which, which I, I would gather would give them a real sense of, uh, you know, of uh, peril that they wanted to get from the actors in the, in the scenes. I think it was uh, uh, 23 seconds per shot. 23 wow. seconds of, yeah. of, of the actual weightlessness. And you can see the original plane that they used. It's mounted at the main entrance to Ellington Air Force Base right there in Houston, right. just a little bit north of Johnson Space Center. Now, they had a lot. I mean, they had, um, you know, the they're crawling around back and forth, uh, you know, and there was a lot of weightlessness. 
Yeah. So that, was it, would they, that was a lot of up and down. That is a lot of up and yeah. down. Yeah. I can imagine what that what that was like filming that. Now, uh, now, now was um, Bill Paxton um, regurgitating his, his breakfast uh, <laughs> planned or did they just like, hey, that's kind of cool. Let's keep that in. Because he actually did it. I, I wonder. I don't know that one. That's a great that's a great question. It did kind of look green. Didn't yeah. yeah Fred, Fred Hayes on the. Uh, yeah. Did he really get sick the first time up? Uh, that's an issue. Yeah. So we talked about the cast. So we got uh, Tom Hanks playing Jim Lovell, the main character. We had Kevin Bacon as the backup command module pilot, Jack Swigert, Bill Paxton as the lunar module pilot, Fred Hayes, Ed Harris as Gene Krantz, the flight director, Gary Sinise as the prime command module pilot who got bumped for the flight. And then a bunch of whole other actors that you might recognize, plus a lot of Rod Howard's families in this. Clint Howard, his brother, was uh, one of the flight controllers. Uh, we had his his mom played Jim Lovell's mother, Blanche. His father played the priest who was at the Lovell house uh, during the, you know, when they were watching the whole thing. Um, his wife and his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, the actress and director, are in a scene where the astronauts are waving goodbye to their families, you know, at night there in front of the, the, the uh, launch pad. Uh, so t- a ton of, uh, you know, of people in this. So it's, I just thought it was very interesting, the, uh, the casting on, the, on this one. His mom had some of the best lines in the whole movie. Oh yeah, when she talks to uh, when that when they want Neil Armstrong and uh, Alan Shepard to distract her so that mm. she doesn't you know realize the peril that her son is in, and she's like, "So do you boys work at NASA too?" It's Dude. Neil Armstrong, <laughs> like, the guy literally just was the first one to walk on the moon. Yeah. If they could build a washing machine to fly, my Jimmy could land. Oh, I that's love she delivered that. that's so well. Well. I know we're kind of jumping ahead there, but that is such I'm sorry, a, I couldn't. A, I know that's a great <laughs> scene though, because the wife and the daughter come in to break the news to the mom, to the elderly mom. And the daughter's the one who starts crying because she's so afraid. And it's grandma who consoles her in the way of saying, my Jimmy could land a washing machine if they put wings on it. Like, like she's just like, she is sure as anything that her son could, could do it. I love that scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole thing's, uh, starts with the famous Walter Cronkite voice voiceover recounting the Apollo history. You've got the archival footage. Uh, you have the Apollo one fire where, I, which I think is appropriate to include that in this, where you have yes. the, the, the astronauts, because it really gives you that sense of the peril that is involved in space flight. Yeah. The, the thing about, you know, what I remember as a child with all this is that this was so new and everyone was riveted to it. Yes. You know, especially after the Kennedy death. Now, I remember vaguely, you know, the, the day Kennedy died. But as we get into the Apollo mission, the, Ge- the Gemini, and they say Gemini. Yeah. And I don't know which is right. <laughs> I've always said Gemini. Um, when you get into Gemini and Apollo, it, you, you just, people were, rid- this is what you watched on TV. You caught every single my mother would have it on and we would have to sit there and, and catch all the news that we could. But the, that uh, Apollo one going up almost set everything back because it, right. it said to people, how dangerous really is this? Cause in the beginning, everybody's going up and down and everybody's coming back and everything's fine. But now then, and they didn't never saw the, you know, the stuff that went over. Right. You know, all the misfires, you never heard about those. I mean, I've seen documentaries later on about them. But um, 
so when Apollo one uh, had the tragedy, it was all over the place and people really thought that gen- was it. It brings us in the generation of space shuttle and, and those uh, accidents mm. um, kind of like we're not the first ones to generation yeah. to go through seeing right. uh, astronauts die. No, but we hadn't seen that since mm. we hadn't seen the shuttle one since Apollo. It was 1. a long time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's what's remarkable to me is so it was only seven years from when they started. You know, seven years in a massive government program is unheard of. Then they have this accident and it doesn't I mean, it doesn't really set them back It like within a year. They're back up and flying. They're like they're they're on the moon relatively quick after the events of that fire. I mean, it's remarkable to me today. It would it would be years like uh, like especially after the last space shuttle uh, crash. It was years before we flew again. Because they were mm-hmm. so cautious about it. It was important for us to beat the Russians. Right. That was it. We had to get there before anybody else. Once you get to the shuttle, now it's just we're going up because it's something else to do to push the boundaries. Right. And that's why, not getting too far ahead here, but this is probably what we're leading to. This is why Artemis has taken so long to get going. Right. Because because we and we need to go back. We need to go back to the moon now, even if it's just to prove to people that that wasn't a sound stage and we really actually went there. (laughs) It wasn't just a fluke. (laughs) It wasn't a fluke. Yeah, Yeah. I I got thousands of cubic feet of records to prove that it wasn't. I'm sure you do. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So then so then we kind of leap a little bit through time. So we get to the you know, we have the, the moon landing. And it's the party at Jim. I think it's at Jim Lovell's house, the party mm-hmm. with all the other astronauts and families and stuff. Then we leap to Halloween of 1969, Alan Shepard being bumped from the flight. He was supposed to be uh, Apollo 13 and Jim Lovell has moved up to command. And then uh, and prior to the Apollo 13, Lovell had only flown around the moon, had not mm-hmm. landed on it. Now who's going to get to land on the moon? Um, then we get to three months prior. They're training for docking maneuvers. It shows how much preparation goes into things. And then we go up to three weeks prior, and this is where I'll kind of slow things down a bit, um, because all this happens relatively quick in the movie. Like I'd say about half the movie is to the launch, and the other half is after launch. And so we have this scene where uh, Jim's wife, Marilyn, has this nightmare of mm. something going wrong on the flight um, and Jim getting ejected into space. And then she wakes to Jim explaining the mission to his son and explaining why He'll, he's going to be okay. Why he's safe. Um, and the son's concern is like, what about Apollo one? You know, can you get, you know, did they fix the hatch, which is what's why they, they, the guys died. They couldn't get the hatch open. I, I really, I really like that scene. I mean, it was really affecting and it makes me think like just the idea of leaving your family to go up. Like what, I don't want to say what kind of man does that because that, that would seem like a criticism, but what does it take to be able to leave your family behind and take on this risk, you know, and what does it take for the family, like a wife to let him mm-hmm. go? It's kind of remarkable to me. Uh, U.S. Navy fighter pilot, test pilot. Yeah, right. Mm. Who had flown three times before Apollo 13. He was the most experienced or one of the most experienced astronauts at the time. And uh, the other two were rookies. They had never been up before. Mm. Right. So it, it was an amazing crew, really. Um, and Jim Lovell was a, probably absolutely the the right guy to be there at the time. Um, these guys are 
amazing. They are so no nonsense and yet they can be very down to earth. Yeah. I think, I mean, they, they select for certain characteristics. They want to, mm. they want astronauts who are both, you know, under pressure, they're calm and they, they think clearly and, and calmly, but they also are fearless, you know, in the sense of they're willing to take on risks and willing to, to go beyond, you know, there's a, there's this in, that weird combination. I mean, of, of course, the movie is called The Right Stuff, that other movie. Hmm. You know, yes. there's that combination of characteristics that they're they're cautious, but risk takers. They're, you know, under control, but they're kind of wild men at the same time. I mean, you see that in these guys, uh, you know, in, in various other uh, not necessarily this movie, but in other times we've seen you know portrayals of the astronauts as kind of a little of both. So it is kind of wild to to, to see. So that actually one of the things that um, I I love this movie for the storytelling, for the way they're able to take something that's run so technically and and write it out and unfold it in, in a beautiful, not quite documentary, mm-hmm. but but in a way that we all can really emotionally attach to. Yeah. Um, but but the guys are picked. They, they picked from test pilots on purpose because it's not that they ignore fear, fear. It's that they have trained themselves to embrace it, accept it, process it, and and do what must be done. Right. And and it's a unique quality. And I think a lot of the current astronauts have that also, not coming from test pilot. But I, I really do think that it's something that they are able now to effectively train into them how to respond in that type of crisis. You know... It- it, it it was interesting to me watching the uh, SpaceX Inspiration Four mission of civilians last fall, and thinking about like these were just regular folks off the street. These were not test pilots. These were in, in, like they. It could have been me. Like if I'd entered the contest, they could have picked my name and not the other guy. You know, and it's like, mm. how would I have been able to react? Would I have been able to embrace it like the like they did? I mean, it is kind of wild that you're putting your life on the line, sitting atop a rocket. Mm. Yeah, they weren't responsible for it. They were just there for a ride up and down. Yeah. 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 Um, I think I think it was the um, series, the the series, the right stuff, not so much the movie. Yeah. That I got a better insight into that fear, you know, how they would train for fear, Mm Shelley. Yeah. That that really showed a little bit more of that time and and then how they had to live this fishbowl of a life. Because not you know not only did people want to know about them, but NASA used them also as you know to PR. gain yeah to to gain what they needed from Congress and from the American public so that they could continue doing what they were doing. Right. And they wove that right into the storyline yeah. of the movie by having right. Jim Lovell being on the tour of the VAB, the Vehicle Assembly Building, yep. when mm-hmm. uh, Deke comes up to give him the information about uh, Alan Shepard. So right. I, I liked also that they kept that that subtle thread in there about now that we've landed on the moon, like you know, it's not as important anymore. You know, the 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 well, senator whoever was like, should we be spending all this money? Later on, mm. we'll find out that people aren't even watching the anymore because it's old hat. You know, it's it's like two after the one where they stepped yeah. on the moon. Well, we're all yeah, Joanne, the third. Joanne was watching. Yeah, I was watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, then, but then as a child, I had I had done a complete model of Apollo 11. <laughs> I had one in my corner of my bedroom. That's how interested I was in this type of stuff. It was fascinating. You guys see my Saturn V over my shoulder here on the uh, uh, on the call? Yeah. 
<laughs> that's that's the Lego Saturn V. Oh, uh, okay. Watching <laughs> yeah. them prepare uh, for me, the two things that uh, struck me and that I can't identify with because I would be bad at both of these things uh, was the the monotonous. We got to go over this, flipping these switches when we do it, how we do it. Yeah, you know. So the procedures are just like over routine. And over. We just we just yeah. do this mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over again. Muscle you know, memory. Yeah. yeah, all of that. It's just so important. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, and I, at least this seemed to be the drive for everybody. It's like, I want to walk on the moon. Mm. Yeah. I want, I want to, that's what I, that's what I want to do. And, and, you know, a level had been up there several times, but he hadn't got to walk on the moon. And, and they, there was, they, they seemed to be indicating a little bit of obviously like some, some jealousy and rivalry, like, you know, Neil Armstrong got to be the first guy and I, I wanted to be. The right. Guy, they yeah. all wanted uh, to be. They yeah. all wanted to be. They're They're all all type a. Yeah. 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 So so that that drive and the the loss when they couldn't were getting ahead of ourselves. But that, that you know, I, I, I would not want to be strapped into on top of all that fuel. Yeah. Um, so I could I don't need to walk on the moon. <laughs> okay. Walk on Earth. That's all right. So if you know that 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 drive um, and trying to identify with it, it's like, well, that's just what, you know, they knew. Yes, this is super risky. And that's why it's so awesome. Um, that, you know, and I would be able to get to walk on the moon and like that. I put my little thumb in front of it and that's, I'm going to go up there, you know, put your thumb in front of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And then he put his thumb in front of the earth. Another visually excellent way of of showing the perspectives. Right. Cause we'd seen him do it with the moon in his backyard, Mm. you know, just, uh, I mean, such good work by Ron Howard there. I mean, just, yeah. And to think of when this movie came out, the, the context in 1995, you know, we had a space shuttle. We, we, Hadn't even started building the International Space Station yet. You know, I mean, this was the space station was until the late 90s, I think. Right, Shelley? Uh, yeah. I have to check on that. But I know the mirror had the mirror was up there. Mirror had. Yeah, it was up there at the time. But like the the ISS had it was not that was I think that was 99 because we're approaching the 20 something yeah. uh, anniversary of it. Um, and, uh, you know, we all we had were space shuttles and we 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 going back to the moon wasn't even a, a thought. And so it's inter- it was interesting when this movie came out, how we, we would look back at that time. That was a heroic time, you know, uh, mm. to, to think about. It. And we'd already had at the, let's see, in 95, two space shuttle crashes. When was the, when was the second one? The, uh, no, uh, the second one was in 2003. Okay. Okay. So we'd only so, we'd had just the uh, the Challenger. Challenger eighty seven, right? Was it? Challenger was eighty six. Eighty six. Eighty six. January of twenty eighth. Nineteen eighty six. Yeah, I was. Yeah, in, and the ISS was launched in November of ninety eight. Yeah. So that was. I mean, it was, they were building it. I mean, obviously at this point, but mm. um, it was still in the future. So it's it's a, you got to you know keep in mind. And now we've got private space sh- ships going up. You know, we. I think what today we had Blue Origin went up again, you know, it's William like again. Shatner went up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Captain really. Kirk is How in, in space. shape do you have to be? If <laughs> <laughs> they can set me up. I don't know. <laughs> apparently, apparently anyway. they, yeah, just strap a rocket to me. I can... So back to the movie, we had uh, this really interesting relationship between Marilyn Lovell and Jim. Uh, it was mm-hmm. they didn't there was no like real drama. They didn't play up like this. Like, any, like I, I can see where some movies would try to play up a like a conflict. There wasn't really conflict. At one point, Marilyn said she wasn't going to go to the launch. And then at the last minute, she changes her, changes her mind and shows up there with the kids. Um, but again, I think that's to portray this idea that uh, some people were starting to think of it as routine. And, mm. and mm. I'm going to disagree with you. 
Oh, okay. What was, why do you think that she wasn't going to go? I think that it was because she was so afraid. It, it's no. so much stress to watch him leave. And, and, and yeah, they, they would have, he, I don't know if Jim Lovell was part of the Apollo one investigation or not, but he would have been active and heard the talk and known about it. They, I mean, it, these were their neighbors. These were their friends. Right. Mm. And some of them had known each other before NASA. They'd known each other through the U S Navy. Right program um so it's a very tight-knit community and, and a lot of them lived in the same neighborhood they had their houses all built at the same place um so the the feeling i got when watching that is she just doesn't have the stomach to do this for a fourth time i mean he went up twice in gemini program he went on apollo 8 and now here he's going up again and and she's like i i the kids it's the kids schedule and she's giving excuses and he knows it she's terrified mm, and so right. And then here the here the here's uh, Mary Hayes with her children, and here's the the veteran astronaut wife telling her how to handle the media, telling her how to how to be how to be present. What was the phrase? I'm I'm proud and excited and something else. Thrilled. I thrilled. thrilled. I know thrilled. thrilled was it? Yeah. Thrilled. Yeah. Proud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but think about it. it. I mean these these were families. It wasn't just the men that were involved. Oh yeah. It was the whole family. Excuse me, had to buy in on this. And I you love know, and the way that they showed that, Joanne, the the that he comes home and all this is going on at home and he has no idea what's going on. Dad, can I wear this? Uh yeah, sure. No. <laughs> no, no. no. I mean, I mean absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> classic I mean, you, husband mistake. <laughs> you understand he he flew a trainer probably back from, from Kennedy to come back to mm. to Houston. Right. Um I mean, so they'd get up, they were gone, they were training and she even knew it. She's like six months. Can you, can you move it up six months? Are you going to be ready? I mean, everything yeah. has to be completely able to because do it without thinking about routine. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's very familiar with the routine. Right. And yes, they are flying back and forth from Florida to Texas. So, <laughs> yeah. and there's a lot of astronaut children who have written books about their parents, either who worked in mission control or worked in flight director or, or were flight directors or, yep. um, were astronauts. Um, they were, they were your neighbors. I mean, my next door neighbor was an astronaut. Um, people at church were flight controllers, um, right. mission control. I mean, I've got a neighbor around this corner, even though we're 30 minutes away from NASA right now, and she does EVA flight directing. So, I mean, mm, they're, wow. they're just everywhere here. <laughs> wow. You wouldn't know. <laughs> right. Um, so the uh, there's it's interesting how they, there's a lot of uh, like foreshadowing, uh, like superstitious foreshadowing in the like the Apollo 13 was set to lift off at 1313 in the afternoon and enter the moon's gravity at on April 13th. You know, they had uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing it, it's probably a true story that on the day of the launch. Marilyn was taking a shower at the hotel and her wedding ring slipped off and went down the drain. Mm. Yes, it's, that happened. Yeah, I mean, that's a very, you know, uh, it's a portentous omen, I, I guess. You know, that's what we're supposed to gather from that. So um, she did recover it. I would think you could. I was thinking, yeah. like, I just need a screwdriver. Get the hotel maintenance guy over there. Yeah. I, I'm doing the I'm doing the dad thing. Oh, pause the movie. What's her problem? Just yeah, get the get, maintenance guy. Call the maintenance upset. guy. Get a screwdriver. But again, <laughs> so, how Ron Howard was was able to just build yes. that tension up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The foreboding. I mean, that's what it is because it, we. It's like watching the movie Titanic. 
unless you're really uninformed, you know what's coming. Right. <laughs> you know? Not like the girls who are sitting in front of me at the movie theater on Titanic, who at the end of the movie said, I can't believe it sank. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh boy. I, I never laugh so hard. Um, but, you know, most people knew what was coming in Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. But so how do you build the drama? And so he was building the drama. You know, that that was that was really good. Yeah, but I think it's a testament to it. It, it is a testament to his direction. But there are you've got to remember, there are people now that don't know this story. No, right. We're so far moved. They really don't. I mean, in 1995, when it came out, yeah, there were a lot of more people around who lived, who were older than me that lived that whole that whole episode. But now as we go further and further away and it's playing on every other TBS station on cable. Yep. Um, you, they don't know this story. So they're sitting there riveted going, really? I'm thinking yeah. that, or they're starting to Google everything. Yeah. I'm thinking prior to this movie, this event was probably less well known to people who hadn't lived through it. Like mm. among my generation until, until the movie came out. And now it's now part of the lexicon Houston. We have a problem. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, a, a thing people say, you know, Apollo 13, you know, it's, it's part of that lexicon now. Whereas before it was for a lot of people that I'm thinking they were as aware of, these events and that's so like really credit you know that's one of the reasons why we have movies based on real events like this because yeah. we need to remember and it helps to make it present again for later generations yeah. and that wasn't the line either yeah i know the, the actual <laughs> thing never... is it no yeah what, what he, was it he actually said he actually said houston we've had a problem so swigert said uh we've got a problem and then uh jim level says uh houston we've had a problem right but that right. doesn't roll off the tongue as, as no. brilliantly mm-hmm. as the quote, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> yes, it, it has a lot more punch to it. Some some a studio exec wrote a note like, let's punch up that line a little bit. Let's just make it we have we got a problem. We have a problem. Yeah. Luke, I am your father. <laughs> yeah. No, yes. I'm your father. <laughs> I love you. I know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Frankly, Scarlett. Um, uh, yes, just saw the, that the other night too. All the lines the beginning that, that of a beautiful never, friendship. Yeah, all the lines that were never actually said in movies. Play it, uh, play it again, Sam. Uh, so anyway, that's our, all our trivia, movie trivia. So then we have this moment where uh, Ken Man, uh, I almost said Don Mattingly, which is a whole yeah, other. I mean, that's a that's a baseball. That's player. a baseball guy. I kept thinking of Ken Mattingly, played by Gary Sinise, gets bumped from the flight because. He was exposed to measles. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really relevant today. We can all uh, appreciate having, you know, <laughs> oh, you've been exposed. So now you're out. Um, you get COVID, mm-hmm. you can't go. Yeah. Or you were around someone with COVID. You can't go. I mean, that would <laughs> that would have been a big thing. And uh, and so Lovell is presented with this. He's like, at first, he's going to bat for for Mattingly. Like, no, we're, we're he's going. We're not replacing him. And so they present him with, OK, it's either he doesn't go or none of you go. Right. I mean, that is quite the, you know, that's a dilemma that that uh, like a like a little moral dilemma that Jim is presented with in that moment. But if you look at the bigger picture, I, you know, I I would like to think that NASA people would have figured it out. (laughs) Yeah. But if it but if it is true that he figured all of that out, the restart sequence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to know, did he or didn't he, Shelley? Was he the one who did figure that sequence out? Okay, so that's what they call in movies making an amalgamation. They they use okay. one character to represent many, All but right. Ken Mattingly was on the Capcom and he was instrumental in mm-hmm. in that simulator um, figuring all of that out. So. Okay, okay. Yeah. but still, 
his being left behind gave him an advantage to know the mind of both Gordo and Lovell. Yeah, he so, knows exactly. He Gordo, knows those guys Gordo so wasn't well. on the flight. Oh, Gordo, I'm sorry, wrong one. Uh, um, Fred. 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 Um, so he knows. He knows how they react. He knows how they would, would react in certain situations. So him being left behind has an advantage. Where if it was where if it was swaggered back there, he had never trained with them. Because if you, you do see in the movie that his crew goes off at a different time. Right. You know, they're together. So this could I mean, hopefully this is what did tip the tip the balance. Problems. But I know everybody at NASA is like, you know, super smart. So they could have all figured that out. But I think it is I think it is a sign of providence that Ken was there to 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 be the guy in the capsule figuring it out. You know, I, I love that. Like the guy who has a, a, a flashlight. Is that the same flashlight they, they have? I only want exactly what they have. You know, just give me the exact same conditions. I mean, I mean, maybe Swagger would have done the same thing, but maybe not. I mean, it's just I, but I love the fact that it just feels providential that Ken Mattingly is there and never got sick, never got the measles. That was yeah. the other big thing mm. that they said in it. And one of the things that as as we're talking about, did this happen? Did that happen? Um, I really love the way that they were able to take scenes that were very full of technical jargon and and change it so that they're basically interpreting it to you. Um, so is this exactly what they had? I'm, I'm sure they would have only brought him exactly what they had. But to mm. show that in the movie, they have to have him have that interaction and ask for it. Is right. this exactly what they have? Um, and one of the things we're, we're not quite there yet, but oh, I wanted to mention how wonderful the acting was when he says to Mattingly, um, see, I keep going back and forth between Tom Hanks, Jim Lovell in my head. But, <laughs> right. but when he says to him, that was my call. Yes. Yeah, I wanted to mm. ask that. Is that is that a accurate? I don't know. And, okay, <laughs> that, that's the one question. I don't know. But the other one is it. why yeah. did, was he like falling on his sword? Like, no, you don't have to go up there. I'll take the heat. It's my call because it wasn't his call. He he wanted him on the on the flight. Mm. He could have been like, yeah, let's go together and ask what's but, his name. But it was know. his call if they had already said, look, yeah. I can bump all three of you to a later flight, right. and we'll just pull up your prime crew. So Swigert still gets to go. And the other two that we're training gets together. There's always a backup crew. Uh, I mean, I said prime, but there's always a backup crew. Right. Or you guys can have, we'll just replace just the position. Well, either way, you know, uh, Mattingly wasn't going. So, I mean, he, right. I don't think he would have said, well, you two shouldn't go either. So. I think, I think in this case, I, I think what's going on is level is he's a, he's a Naval officer. I think he might even have been a captain at this point, but, but he was fairly yes. up there. And, he would have said, like, even if the orders come down from above, when he get what he is the commander of this flight, and so it is his call no matter what. Like, he, even if he has no choice, it's his mm. call. He takes right. he takes responsibility for everything that goes on in that ship. And I think that that's designed to show his character in in this moment that that Jim Lovell takes takes responsibility for everything that happens aboard his ship, and, right. and that's mm -hmm. what that's what this is. It's his ship. Yeah. And and he and Mattingly were both U.S. Navy, so yep. yeah, and he was captain at the time. Right, Fred Hayes was interesting. I want I want to dig more into his bio, but I, I saw he was both a Marine pilot and an Air Force pilot. That's a very interesting <laughs> okay. move. That's an interesting <laughs> lateral move. <laughs> I'll throw one more. He was also uh, he he went to his uh, uh, training with the U.S. Navy, 
So he did his fighter pilot training with the U.S. Navy oh. and became a Marine fighter pilot. Well, the, all the Marine pilots train with the Navy. They all train together. They all they all right. train in one place. But yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, the uh, so we have uh, flight director Gene Kranz, played by Ed Harris. We mentioned um, if you want to see hear an interesting uh, story about Gene Kranz, uh, the other podcast on the network called American Catholic History did an episode number 42 on Gene, who's Catholic. Uh, obviously, a lot of these guys are, are Catholic, uh, but uh, Gene had an interesting story that they told on the uh, on that episode but uh jeans played by ed harris and there's this this uh ritual that he had where he his wife made him a new vest for every flight so he's wearing this this vest and he wears that vest the whole flight uh i thought that was a really nice character moment that they gave him <laughs> did they explain why it was white i can't remember in the movie if they say why no. it's a white vest no so all the flight directors have a different color so you're so oh yep. uh gene Kranz's shift was the white shift um, ah. and, uh, I know Glenn Lunny's was black and I can't remember the other, there were two other flight directors gold, and I don't I know what, too. one was gold. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that was Jerry Griffin or Milt Wind Windler. Um, and, uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. Um, nice. and Ed Harris plays him brilliantly. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, Gene Kranz is still living. He is, uh, 88, I think. Wow. Um, yeah. he's still in the area and, and I spoke to him once on the telephone. And he is no chit chat. He is very direct. <laughs> and if you have a chance, go read his book. Go read everything you can get on him. He's is just, I mean, very very smart man. Awesome. So. Cool. Um, so we have uh, the launch. The number five booster goes out prematurely during the launch, and so they but they keep going. And they say, it looks like we've had had our glitch for this mission. <laughs> Can dun, I just dun, be, dun. before before we go there? I I just the the everything leading up to the launch. The I mean, yep. there's the, the putting the medical stuff on and putting their suits on. But you know, walking over and having a guy put his foot in your shoulder and tighten. Yeah. I mean, that, that, oh, that's yeah. that's scary. Yep. That's like you know, you, if you're scared when they belt you in for a roller coaster ride. I mean, that, that's like, you know, and we're going to shut the door and you guys are bye. You know, and that mm. that 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 was filmed so well. See you in a week. Single one of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I just wanted to bring that up. No, it was good. I liked when uh, when Swigert's like he's get, they're about to put the helmet on. No, it was uh, Hayes, Fred Hayes, about to put his helmet on. And the guy's like, oh, wait, Fred. And he holds out his hand to spit his gum into <laughs> You, otherwise that gum's gonna be stuck in there for, okay, for I, hours I, I do know this one so when i first started working at uh clear lake and i started meeting people i asked them about that movie and uh, and they had that what did the astronauts say about it and the person i was talking to said that she was on the bus with fred hayes and the others they bust him over <laughs> to, to see it in the theater and the only thing he said coming out of that theater was i did not chew gum <laughs> because the actor Bill Paxton chews gum and he chews it in all these scenes. I see it. I can yeah. see him chewing in, mm. in a lot of the earth scenes. And, and that was the only thing they told me was Fred Hayes's only quote after seeing the movie for the first time was I did not chew gum. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so I'm guessing that uh, he did throw up on the flight though. <laughs> Cause he didn't deny it. <laughs> uh, he will say mm. that he uh, had a little indigestion. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. So uh, I mentioned before they have like this whole thing where they they do they do this live broadcast, but in fact nobody's actually watching. Um, mm. And then we get to 
at 50 minutes into the movie, I, I actually stopped and looked at it. This is when we have stirring the oxygen tank. Mm. Uh, and so what happens is, is oxygen, which obviously they need for both fuel and for air, um, in it's it's um, in the cold of space, it it semi liquefies. It has to be stirred up to, ke- to be kept from freezing solid. And so they had stirrers in it. And so they told Swigert, Mission Control told them, you know, make sure to stir the tank. And Shelly, you had a link uh, that you sent us that uh, that has all of the mission audio from the very beginning to the yes. end. Yeah. And I jumped and you could jump ahead to different parts of the mission. Obviously, I jumped right to that moment to listen to what it was really like. And it was so routine. It was just and they don't know anything has gone wrong for a while. It's like, hey, I'm getting some weird readings here. Instrumentation looks a little maybe might be messed up. And then we get to Houston. We we have a problem, or mm-hmm. we've had a problem, as you, as you corrected. Yeah, and they did not uh, use that uh, that live audio that that is available today. It's uh, called Apollo in Real Time dot org, and I mm-hmm. think there's three missions already loaded. And the Apollo in Real Time dot org was created in I want to say to twenty twenty. I think they loaded it just in the last two years. They went mm-hmm. and pulled the audio from the National Archives, from the investigation files, and had it digitized and scrubbed and, I mean, built this amazing website. Oh, yeah. I mean, I spent probably two hours just listening to it last night. Yep. But uh, the one that they used for this movie actually came from the ECOM station, and it, it's Cy Liebergott, and in the movie, it's played by Clint Howard. Mm-hmm. But Cy Liebergott had taken his reel-to-reels, and had them converted and gave them to Ron Howard. I think I think when the Jerry Bostick and, and Glenn Lenny and they got involved in the, the technical uh, advising of the show, I think that's when they kind of got all those guys together to talk about it. And they found out he had that. But we had the CDs. <laughs> They're CDs right. then. I don't know what they have now in the archives, but we had the CDs and you could listen to it. And um, But if you love this movie, you need to go and watch this website, Apollo 13 in real time, mm. and listen to that moment. It's at 55 hours, 54 minutes. And, um, and listen mm. to the difference in the way they talk in real life versus the way they act in the movie. Yeah. Okay. And you can hear the total difference in the tone of voice. And what's nice is it's not just audio. They also have some visual stuff. Some, uh, some of the, the, uh, representations of the the feeds that they would have been looking at like the various data feeds and stuff like that it's really a a great website definitely check it out um and i like at one point when they're all kind of starting to get a little frantic in the in the movie gene Kranz does you know stop work the problem stop guessing at the solution you know and it's really a nice moment it's let's you know settle down step back stop flailing at it Figure, let's work the problem, find the solution, stop guessing, start working what we know, what we know how to do. I mean, how often have I said to one of my kids, you know, since watching this movie and my, you know, I wasn't married then, but how many often I said to my kids, work the problem, you know, stop flailing at it, slow down, calm down, work it out. I would just like to say, I, I love the way mission control looked. The whole thing with the different guys mm-hmm. and different actors they had playing things and um i mean ed harris i love everything he does i don't think there's anything ed harris has done that i don't really really like 
yeah. but I mean, he was, is great. And the, the different, uh, personalities, um, you know, you got the, like the, 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 the bald geeky guy, you know, that's like trying to figure out. And then, then the one guy who's like, it wasn't built for that. You know, I just want to say we didn't design it for that. So the contractor. <laughs> yeah. The contract, yeah. We, yeah. That's not what it's for. And, and also the, like you have the dichotomy of the surgeon and we can't set up with measles yet. Everyone in there is smoking like a chimney. Like that's they, they just <laughs> smoke everywhere. Cause right. that, that the whole mission control was really cool. And the, 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 the tension and, and how they, they knew what they were doing, but then when things started going wrong, they're like, okay, we got to, you know, figure this out. And it was, it was cool. And it was neat to kind of learn a little bit about how that stuff kind of works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all the checks, you know, we got to, everybody tell me if you're a go, is everyone a go, you know? Mm. Um, I just, it, it was really kind of neat. Well, it really is teamwork. And they, you know, NASA was was always looked like a well-oiled machine, even if it wasn't. So I did like some of that, whether it was real or not, where when they're on Vox, they speak a certain way. But yep. then when they're off Vox, like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but when they're on and that was both sides, too. Right. Both the astronauts up in space and and mission control. Because they were bantering with themselves, but when they would go on, well, this is the problem, uh, right. Odyssey, you know, or, you know, so it was just very, they knew how to be professional and then also fall apart at the same time. Yeah. It's one of the things you learn when you, when you learn to be a pilot, even like a civilian pilot, when you're on air, when you're on like air traffic control channel or whatever, you have to be professional, calm, direct, clear. You know, when you're off that, you can be whatever. But when you're on, like, and so th- that would have been ingrained in all these guys. So mm-hmm. I, I really love that 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 moment. That was that was pretty fun. Well, you mentioned Michael that the mission control. You know, that was a replica, and they built it to scale to the original. The original wow. is at NASA Johnson Space Center. You can see it. Um, you can go on a tour, a tram tour, and see it. Sorry. Um, when you go to see it, you're standing up in the viewing area where they showed the families watching. And mm-hmm. uh, I've actually seen a shuttle launch from the the viewing section. Um, but I've been also on the floor of the historic mission control. It's a, I want to say it's a national trust property, national historic. Oh, wow. Um, it's spot on. I mean, there were guys that, that still would come into the archives and tell me, well, we couldn't tell the difference. Um, wow. We used to have a researcher. He actually has one of the cabinets from the original <laughs> because, you know, nice. it, it was there. It had been broken apart and been put back together. And we always said when, when we went on the tours, we always said there's two things wrong with mission control, the way they have it set up on the tour. Number one is it's missing the ashtrays. It is missing <laughs> ashtrays. Number two, they did not have a red phone <laughs> a red <laughs> sitting phone. in that room. <laughs> That's funny. So you mentioned Cy Liebergott. So there's a scene where he he's talking to Gene and he's like, we want we need to close the valves. We need to close the valves. And Gene's like, if we close the valves, you know, we're not going to land. And Cy is the one who kind of gives everybody a reality check. He's like, at this point, it's about saving the ship and saving their lives. It's like the moon is gone. Like the moon is we're not going to the moon. And that's really where you see them. Everybody kind of gets the clue like, oh, that's where we are. This isn't a let's fix the problem and go to the moon. This is mm-hmm. a let's let's figure out how we're going to save these guys. Yeah. Uh, so that was a really uh, 
key moment in the in this movie. Yeah, and in real life, he would have had to explain what it meant when he said, "Flight, we need to close the reactive valves." Everybody right. would have known, and that's yes. one of the mm-hmm. most. That's one of the things I love about the way they wrote the script and filmed it is that they took this scientific jargon that everybody understood, like they were speaking Klingon, and they found a way to educate <laughs> the audience so that yes. we would understand. Right. The emotional connection. And you throw that score in there. Was Who was that? James Horner? And it's like, yes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think, yeah, Horner always works with Howard. <laughs> yeah. Horner, Horner and Howard. Well, he did anyway, until he, till he passed away. Yeah. But um, it's it's the old C-3PO trick. You know, he has to answer R2-D2 in ways that you'll know what R2-D2 said. So mm. they have to, like, you know, yep. question it by explaining it. And it just sounds natural. But then when you got up to the astronauts and they told them what to do, they're all like, they didn't have to say it. You already knew, and they see in their eyes, they're taking the moon away from us. A yeah. good question was um, Swagger going to be able to walk on the moon? Because they talked about how the Lem was just for two people. So he was never going to walk on the moon. There was now. always one guy who stayed in the command stayed module. Behind. Okay. Michael Collins was the guy on Apollo 11. Uh, and he actually wrote a really good book, which Wait, I, I read. never heard of him. Like, okay, I see how yeah, that works. Ex- ex- that's exactly. how it works. Wow. Yeah. But you yeah. feel bad, and you feel bad for the guy. Because yeah. he's the one who gets left up there. But yeah. if, you know, he's got to get them all back home. You hope that the, they get a future mission where they get to walk. You know, that's that's mm. the idea. You talk about the loneliest man in the world, because when they're yes. up there in that command module by themselves and they go around the dark side of the moon, there's no contact with anyone. Right. That that mm. was one of the really cool parts about Michael Collins's book is talking about. I think, in fact, I think the book was called like dark, the far side of the moon or something along those lines. like the existential moment where you, that is like the loneliest man in the universe at that moment. He is because everybody is on the, every, every person in the universe, every human person in the universe is on the other side of the moon from you. Mm. <laughs> you know, it just blows your mind. The aliens are like below you on the, in the secret moon base, <laughs> but all the yes. humans are on the other side of the moon. Yeah. Super Superman and the, the, yep. Uh, Zog and those guys. Yeah, those guys are all out in the other direction. But <laughs> Captain Marvel, anyway, Captain Marvel's over there somewhere. All the all the secret stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I so, think Captain America is secretly there too. Yeah, yeah. Frozen. Um. So they so they have to shut down. They they realize they 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 don't have the power. This is the other thing is from a 2022 perspective. Never mind a 1995 perspective. How much power they needed to to run this ship to sit, to get things going. I mean, never mind the computing power that was just minute. I have more computing power in my watch than the entire mission control. Never mind in the, the spaceship, but the amount of electricity was so small. I, like the, the battery that I used to recharge my phone probably has more power in it than they had to work with. To yeah, get can you, going. Can we, do we know what like the 12 watts is in bars on my phone? Like what, 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 <laughs> how, how percentage of charge so I can relate to how much it took? Well, is, well your mm. phone is like 5,000 is like five amps. That's your phone is five amps. Oh, okay. They had, oh, that's it. They had 20 amps All to, right. f- to power up the entire ship. They had 20 <laughs> amps to work with. I mean, think of it. That's like five of your phone. That's, that's insane. Yeah. What is it? Oh, geez. Isn't that incredible? So, no, it is funny yeah. and how they were like just, you know, every little thing that they could squeeze. And- well, and that in like 
we need to move the program from the flight computer in the Odyssey to the flight computer in Aquarius. When they said move the program, they're not talking about mm-hmm. copying it to a disk. They're write right. it down. Mm-hmm. And then and do the calculations. Doing do like, slide rules and everything. Yes. I'm like, and, and you- pencils <laughs> with erasers and erasing the, ca- the calculations and then putting it in again. Like, I mean, it is it is mind boggling that they 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 took this technology to the moon. I mean, amazing. <laughs> it's like just blows my mind. It's awesome. Which makes me look forward to what is Artemis going to look like? Oh, well, you get a preview of that looking you know? at the SpaceX Crew Dragon. Mm. Like they get the iPad, touchscreen, boop, 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 boop. It looks like, you know, the Enterprise uh, up there, you know, it's wild. So that's um, going to be fun. It's, I, can, I am so looking forward to that. That's going to be so awesome. So they do. We do get them. They get to the moon. They have to go around the moon without landing. And there's that moment where it's like, you know. It wouldn't be that hard to kind of like it's right there. <laughs> like they're <laughs> only half joking. Like we could just slip away, go down, and come back up again. <laughs> you know, obviously they can't, but right. um, just you could see that longing in Jim Lovell's face. Like it's mm. right there. I could reach out and touch it. Uh, it was pretty awesome. Question: it's Hard to be heartbreaking. Yeah. Is there really a Mount Maryland? Yes. Oh, that's so cool. So he got the name the mountain after his wife. That's that is like every forgotten anniversary and birthday after that. <laughs> I named a mountain on the moon. Just cut me some slack. Yeah. I mean, come on. What other husbands have done that? <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh so they have to save all the energy. We get the the famous apocryphal line, failure is not an option, which Shelly said uh Gene Krantz never said. Never said it. Nope. Never said wow. it. Nope. But it's not like he said failure is an option. He, <laughs> no, but he just was. never said that. I did find online where the phrase came from. It says that the script writers came down to Clear Lake and they were interviewing Jerry Bostick. And they said, well, what are the people in Mission Control really like? Weren't there times when everybody or at least a few people just panicked? And Jerry said, no, no. When bad things happen, we just calmly laid out all the options, and failure was not one of them. We never panicked. We never gave up finding a solution. And that's the moment when it says Bill nice. Broyles got up and was like, that's it. That's it. That's the tagline for the whole movie. Failure is not an option. Now we just have to figure out who's going to say it in the movie. Mm, and they right. assigned it to Krantz because Krantz represents all of those flight directors. Um, yeah. Nice. Cool. Yeah, they imply that Krantz is in the mission control for the entire week or whatever. But obviously, they would have gone on and off shift. He's like, he can't be there 24-7. There was the, uh, the other guys that were there as well. So, and then we, like we mentioned, we had uh, Mattingly. They put him in the simulator to to kind of figure out the procedure for how to get the ship powered up again because they powered it down. Um, uh, famously, was the fixing the carbon scrubbers, that scene where... They have they had two different sizes of carbon scrubbers, one for the Aquarius, one for Odyssey, and they have they have a square peg and a round hole, and they dump a box of stuff on the table. This is everything they have access to on the ship. Now you need to make this fit in that. I mean, I love that. That was a great scene. That's such a such a great iconic American ingenuity. This is what NASA was all about. Was making things work that seemed impossible doing the mm. impossible and at the same time government contracts and how right. insane it is that you would have two separate contractors working on vehicles that link together but don't have standardized parts right right, right. the interchangeable <laughs> c- carbon scrubbers 
<laughs> I'm gonna guess that every ship designed after that had would have had interchangeable carbon scrubbers, even though we don't have we don't do two part ships anymore like that. But yeah, I'm gonna guess <laughs> Artemis's landing craft will have the same uh, carbon scrubber. <laughs> I I find it it's uh, ironic, obviously that that Mattingly got bumped from the flight, but it's Bill Hayes who actually gets sick on the trip. He gets he's got a cold or a flu or something like that, which is not helped by it being freezing. Um, right, and, and they uh, they start bickering with each other over the whose fault it is, whether it's Swagger did something wrong or Hayes, or and you know they they start yelling, and then like you mentioned, uh, Shelley, or no, you mentioned um, uh, Joanne. As soon as Mission Control comes on, they're like they're yelling at each other, and then they they go mm-hmm. on like uh, Mission Control, yeah, everything's uh, fine here. We're we're doing, you know, it's very calm. You know, it's very. Uh, I, I like that. <laughs> well, yeah, in the middle of the argument, when yeah. um, Lovell is like saying, you know, we're not doing this right now. Uh, Mission Control calls and like, are we on Vox? Okay, (laughs) (laughs) right, right, exactly. Because he doesn't want them to be, you know. I yeah, of course. Each one is trying to spare the other one from what they know is going on. Right. So, and and that was the only thing that got me a little bit because, but I know it's protocol and stuff like that. But you know, these guys up there weren't stupid. They knew that they must have been running around in Houston trying to figure all this out. Yeah. And Houston's trying to keep them calm. And they're like, that's, it's probably like the worst thing that can happen. You right. know, don't got, patronize us. Tell us what's right. going on. They got nothing but time up there to sit right. around and think about what's going on. You know, I mean, that's the days where they're just sitting there in this mm-hmm. tight little space. You know, you can't step outside, you, you know, that's just, yeah, because the Lem wasn't built for travel. The Lem was built for yeah. one thing, go from ship to bottom, and then the other part comes out and goes back to ship. Right. So it was, I'm sure, a small compartment. Well, just and you get yeah. three guys in there instead of two. Well, even just the idea that you had three guys in the command module for a week, you know, it just it boggles mm-hmm. the mind how like they just cram these guys in there and they live there for a week, you know, in this tiny space. It's just, mind, yeah, mind boggling. And, uh, I mean, the space shuttle after that was like luxurious travel. It was like a cruise ship <laughs> compared mm. to it. Um, so uh, speaking of uh, famous people showing up, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but uh, one of the Mission Control guys, Max Grodenchik from uh, Deep Space Nine. I just, I just, uh, it was great seeing him out of makeup. He, you know, he's in makeup on Deep Space Nine, so it's awesome to see him. <laughs> I'm a big Star Trek fan. Uh, he was, he would have been. The show was in production at the time, so he was would have been a star on that at the time. But one that wasn't a star, Eric Broadstreet. Yeah. He's just one of the mission control guys. Every once in a while, he had a line, but I, I knew exactly who. I was like, yeah, that's Eric Broadstreet. Now, where do I know? What would I know him from Modern now? Modern Family. Oh, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did y'all, uh, okay. did y'all see who was they wanted to play Jim Lovell? No. Who? Okay, so imagine, imagine Jim Lovell being played by Kevin Costner. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's who Lovell no. wanted. Mm-hmm. That's a hard no. Yeah. Well, of yeah. course he did. You know, or Cary Grant or <laughs> yeah. Robert Redford or some unbelievably gorgeous guy. Well, who went, I think I think Brad Pitt should play me, really. I mean, if we Well, you know who else was offered the role? John Travolta was offered the role. Oh, I can't see that. Yeah, I can't see it either. No, no, no. But no, no, no. Uh, Mike, you mentioned Brad Pitt. They offered him uh, the role of Jim Swigert, and he turned it down. Yep. How about John yeah. Cusack as Fred Hayes? Oh, I God. like Cusack. I can. I don't that mind. Been, you know, I, still, yeah. I like him a lot. Um, I have. I, I love the late 
Bill Paxton, but mm. um, I, I can't get away from his portrayal in Aliens just being so goofy. Game <laughs> over, man! <laughs> I'm just like, oh my... So I always have trouble, but he's... I mean, he was he was great in this. And he and, was and, in Titanic, wasn't he? Bill Paxton, was he? No. no. No, which one was in Titanic? That's the other one. Bill was... Bill, for me, Bill Paxton will always... I'll remember him from uh, Weird Science. Yes. Which was... Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Science. Such a he funny was, movie. He was in Tombstone, but we're, we're getting off oh, there. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> was, uh, Swaggart was, was portrayed as, as definitely feeling um like the third wheel like am i measuring up i mean uh i don't i, I mean that might be a nuance shelly that's hard to know how historic that is but like you know and that he was definitely self-conscious you oh know, absolutely when, when when he was accused you know uh about what was you know with this, what were you doing what were, what were the readings do you remember the readings when you stirred the tanks and all that yeah well and right. remember too that in the beginning when they're saying that um uh, Mattingly has to come off the mission. He's like, when we can read each other's minds, we know each other's thoughts. We've worked together. We've we've eaten together. We've been together, basically, in, in this tiny capsule doing simulation, three hour simulations at a time, day after day after day. We we know exactly. We don't even we don't we can predict everything about one another. And now you're going to throw an unknown into there. And here's Swiger. He's right. had maybe maybe half the time in the simulators. And he's got to be brought up to speed in, in two to three days. And he doesn't know their personalities. There's a psychological component. All of these astronauts go through a, a psychological component to to match them up, too. So uh, I thought mm-hmm. they did a yeah. beautiful job of showing that in the movie. The acting in here is just mm-hmm. brilliant. And, and isn't it funny that, that mm-hmm. when it came to the Oscars, that only two of them received um, nominations and didn't win for the acting? It was right. Ed Harris mm. for supporting actor and mm. Kathleen Quinlan for supporting actress. Oh, wow. And the writing was nominated, but it did not win. It didn't look up uh, uh, who won. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best, uh, let's see, Best Screenplay. It won for Best Sound and Best Film Editing, um, but it, it was nominated in a bunch of, uh, you know, dramatic score. Uh, screenplay based on a, a adaptation. So yeah, visual effects, visual effects that lost to the movie Babe oh, about a pig. <laughs> oh my gosh! Visual effects. That's different. <laughs> oh, and I and I got to roll back. Bill Paxton was in Titanic. He I kind of he was the operator on. He was on the ship with um not on the titanic but in the real time when they're oh, going to look right. for the titanic he was the, he was the, the goofy guy yeah. who yeah All the right. gi the gi i don't know what they call it, oceanographer right yeah that's the treasure hunter there. of course i just right exactly yeah. oh, okay. and of course i just saw him in twister the other day so another great movie <laughs> so um we mentioned when Mrs. Lovell met Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and uh, Wes Allen was Buzz Aldrin, asked if they were in the space program too. You know, the, <laughs> to arguably two of the most famous guys in the world in 1970. And uh, the other thing I liked too was the, the news coverage that they showed, which I looked like it was actual footage from that for that era. Um, that was constantly like all the most dire possibilities that could happen, and like the poor families are sitting there watching this. Mm. Well, it could you know, burn up in the atmosphere on the way in, or it could skip off into space and they'll die in the depths and cold of space. I don't even know why we're trying to get them home. Really, they're dead already. (laughs) Right. Well, now here we go. Here's my, here's my boomer stuff. Yeah. Jules Bergman. That was ABC. 
Uh-huh. Okay. You had you had Walter Cronkite on CBS. You had Frank McGee and Huntley and Brinkley on NBC. And all of them had these, you know, the especially Jules Bergman was fun because he he's the guy who brought out the blowtorch so that you could see and that that right. is actual footage. Oh my god. He gosh. did. They they would have they would have, you know, like um replicas and they'd be showing you by hand how this is all going to work and then they'd have funny little graphics that they would do to help people understand some of the science of it but all that was that you knew which station you were watching and there were only three at the time yep and you knew who was on what station and what they were going to do there were three when we were growing up too yes (laughs) i remember three no remotes but the cron we had four we had pbs Oh well, yes, there was PBS, but then yeah, hardly counted. It was always PBS. it was always hard to tune in because it was like fuzzy. But anyway, the um, the Cronkite parts were great, especially when they in the early part of the movie when they landed on the moon and he's taking his glasses off and literally mm-hmm. in tears. It, like it really helped capture this was a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Walter Cronkite was good for that because he reacted, even though he was very stoic all the time and very. You know, um, no nonsense. When something happened, he would actually react to it. So you see him react, especially when they're walking, when they're walking on the moon. John Kennedy, when he died, that was very emotional. Anytime there was something, he would he would break like the fourth wall and just Mm -hmm. show you how he was feeling. So everybody kind of felt, you know, could be okay to feel the same way. He's very good for that. You know, I don't think we've had a moment like Apollo 11 and landing on the moon, you know, that was such a universal good Mm -hmm. moment for all, for everyone around the world, you know, just except for the Russians. But uh, everyone else was pretty happy at that moment, you know, and just that unifying moment. I mean, I don't I can't think of anything since then that has really unified us in the same way. Not not one that wasn't born of tragedy. Right. Right. You know, I mean, you know, they do like some sort of recovery from, you know, uniting us behind the world trade center or something like mm, that. Right. And different things. But this was, uh, I mean, yeah, I suppose you could say the tragedy of the, the lost astronauts and things like that, but still it was just this great accomplishment. Yeah. Yep. And I can't wait to see, you know, when Artemis lands on the moon again, mm. you know, I'd love to see something similar, but who knows where we'll be then. We're not in the same space. No, it's, I know. It's a different time now travel technology it, it's just a different in those days this was all science fiction stuff well and and we have True cgi that's fiction. that's better than what we can what the real right. you know the watching the real stuff and so i think that kind of takes the uh the edge off of it oh please i don't want to hear again they're doing it as sound stage <laughs> <laughs> please so the, I, I liked it so at the 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 uh when they're coming back into you know to orbit and coming back into re-entry and they have this montage of people around the world. And there was that scene of Pope Paul leading 50,000 people in prayers for the astronauts in St. Peter Square. And I wonder if that was actually true. I I, I, I would guess it really did happen. Uh, I know yeah. that he prayed for them. I don't know if he did mm-hmm. it in St. Peter's Square. Yeah. I mean, he could have just mentioned their names at an audience. And that's right. good enough. You know, it right. didn't happen to happen like while they were landing. Right. What was it? Uh, April. What was it? April 16th? 17th my i said remember i i, I mentioned to you it was at my oh, anniversary yeah. 50 uh let's see it was uh 29 years to the day before my wife and i were married well, uh, you, april 17th you picked an auspicious day it was uh that and, was a and good they, they took off 
on St. Gemma Galgani's feast day, exactly 60, uh, eight, no, 67 years after she died. Exactly. Wow. That's wild. Well, there is a prayer. There is a prayer that he did pray for them. He did. Oh, oh. wow. Awesome. Yeah, he did on what's the date? Because I was wondering if that was a, the fifteenth of April, the fifteenth. Okay, yeah. so two days before they landed. Mm-hmm. Okay, but so it doesn't say an audience though. So they, um, when they're coming in, there's this moment where they're getting into the command seats, like into the command module seats, and keep in mind, and it might be a subtle point: the leftmost seat is the pilot seat. That's the that's the pilot seat, and. Lovell kind of just by habit climbs into it because it's his ship. You know, he's, he's got the controls and then he sees Swaggart look over like, yeah, like a sad uh, puppy. Yeah. And so he's like, no, you've got this. And they switch like you're, you're the pilot. And, and there was that, that's that moment where he's basically saying, I'm taking you off the hook. Like, uh, uh, you know, I, I believe in you. I don't believe that you, you screwed up. You take us home. You know, and that was a really nice moment there. I, I really did like that. Wasn't it the custom though that the one the commander would fly to the moon, and then the pilot who stayed in the thing would fly them back? Isn't that somewhat? I, I don't know if I read that somewhere that he did the reentry. I probably. I yeah. think that's. I think in fact that's what it was. Is that Jack's supposed to be in that seat, and that yes. at that time, yes. right, right, yes. and that if. If uh, he had lost confidence in him, then he would have been replacing him. And that was a, a sign that he did not lost confidence yeah. in him. Yeah. Jack Swigert was the command mo- command module pilot. And that was right. the um, that cone shaped piece that was at the top. And then they, mm. you know, they they separated and they turned around and they went and they got the lunar ma- lunar module or the LEM and pulled it mm. out. And then they right. jettisoned that and landed but anything that's piloting the command module is Jack Swigert. And then Jim Lovell was the commander of the entire mission, and he was the pilot for the lunar module to land on the moon. Right. He was the Neil Armstrong character. Well, it was actually right. it was, um, Fred Hayes who was the lunar module pilot. Was Fred? He was, was he? I'm sorry. Yeah. Look at me. It's, y'all, it's late no. here. That's <laughs> fine. No, 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 but Lovell, okay. Lovell was the overall mission commander. Yes, so you had the right. two pilots. And, and Lovell would be the, the first man out of the, uh, you know, out of the, the limb and step mm. on the moon. I mean, that's his prerogative. My husband was funny when we were watching it. He said, oh, I forgot they turn around and go get it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's that's how they did things in those days. <laughs> yeah. And it's, they had to go like five, like they eject it and then they had to like, OK, we're, we got to go get it. Like, where did where is it? Right. And go, you know, and how. He kind of scratches, almost like a bad parking job. You know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. we got it. We're, we're there. We're there. And there'd so, be no sound in space, I don't think. But whatever. And then um, at the end, I mean, it's Kranz who gets the, the not literal, the final line, but the, he gets the last, kind of the, 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 the last say where he says, uh, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Mm. And in a sense, I think that's what Ron Howard is trying to say is the mission was a failure. Right. The mission, they, the mission was to land on the moon. The mission was a failure, but yet it was the finest hour of NASA because of how they rose to the challenge. You know, landing on the moon was the big challenge, was the, was the, the, mm-hmm. the big success. But this, dealing with the, the unexpected disaster and coming out of it with everybody alive, you know, getting home, that showed mm-hmm. their, finest, their finest hour, even over the landing on the moon. So I, th- I thought that was a really nice sentiment to put in there right at the end of the movie 
So uh, that brings us to the end of the movie. Any last thoughts, anything we didn't cover that you wanted to cover or talk about in this movie Any, or final thoughts about the movie itself? Joanne? Again, I this was Apollo, Gemini, Apollo, Mercury, when I was growing up, captured my imagination. And, it, you know, I, I, I wanted to do that. I wanted to go up there. Then I found out I had motion sickness and no way was ever <laughs> going to do anything like that. But it gave me an appreciation for sciences, even though I went in a di- way different direction. It gave me an appreciation for science and technology. And I think that's what led me later on in life to be very good with, you know, want to know more about technology, not be afraid of it, do it because I saw all this growing up as a child. Yeah. And it, it, it was it was magical because, it, you know, times were different. And I just can't, you know, when you're when you're an ordinary person living in an ordinary world and you're watching people go into space and go to the moon, it was just it was just magical. Right. I, I love the idea that not only did Wizard direct technological advancement from things invented for the space program, mm-hmm. there was the inspiration that it provided. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of what we have in the, our lives today is, is a yes. result of that inspiration, not just direct technology, but just inspiration. And that's one of the reasons why it's important that we go to space because we need to be inspired mm-hmm. to look up, to see what's out there, to, to, to strive. You know, you mentioned that you, it inspired you to, to, you know, someday to become an astronaut. I actually took the first steps on that journey when I was in high school I entered Navy ROTC and I was studying aerospace engineering at Boston University. That eventually, for many reasons, didn't work out, obviously. But I'm so grateful that I took those steps and that I mm. and that I was inspired by that. I mean, I this is the sort of stuff that inspired me to, you know, to to want to to go more and do more. And now I'm doing this, uh, talking about this sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I, I hope it. A new generations are inspired mm. by SpaceX and Blue Origin and and all that. And there's a one line in the movie where they say, you know, now th- this, what is it? The computer, the computer's now in, in, we have a computer that's housed in a building. We can fit and, it in a whole, in a room. Yes. In yes. A room. And I'm saying, my husband and I are sitting there going, and now we can hold it in our hands. Yes, exactly. How about you, Mike? Any last thoughts? Um, it, it just, it's, it's one of the, the check marks for this film, which there are many, is that it's just rewatchable. Um, you know, it, mm-hmm. every different scene that you come up, you're, oh yes, I like this scene. This is great. Oh, I like when he gets his vest and puts it on. Oh, that's cool. You know, I, I like it when they dump all that stuff off and this is what we have in the, uh, in the lem and this is all we can build this thing out of, you know, all the different stuff that they have, all the different things of them in space. The only scene I don't like is when he, when he throws up, I, I get a little, other than that, Yuck. you know, and uh, even the, the, like, what happens to the urine? Oh my goodness. There's so, so. Jim, <laughs> those guys, all those astronauts, urine is floating in space somewhere. Um, but yeah, I just uh, overall, it's just I I rewatched it happily yesterday uh, in preparation for this. Nice, yeah. You know, you talk about it being rewatchable. Apart from some, you know, older CGI, you know, some of the special effects look a little older. This movie is still just is still a classic, still good, still any you know, it just holds up. Yeah, you're right. And it looks like 1970. It I mean, does. They, the, the, everything mm-hmm. that they, you feel like you're in 1970, but seeing incredibly excellent shots of yeah. them in space. And Shelly, how about you? Um, I think I said most of what I wanted to say, especially about the writing and the music here. Um, but I'm, I'm drawn to 
I'm drawn to Glenn Lenny's funeral because I, I didn't attend it because of COVID. I watched it online and his son gave an amazing um, talk at the end, a uh, testimony of his father. And they did mention Apollo 13 in it. And so I just wanted to tell you that Ken Mattingly told Glenn Lenny's son that when your dad came in and took over the mess, he just brought calm to the situation. And as we've mentioned, um, Gene Kranz is the face of flight directors, but Glenn Lenny came in and was there present at the time of the, uh, or came in right after it happened. Uh, that was a shift change, actually. And another person in Mission Control told him that when your dad entered the room, there was an immediate and profound calming presence. And he collected information. And for hours, he made decisions in a way that was somewhat otherworldly. And then he shared that his father told him, son, I want to share something with you. That the best work I've ever done as a professional was that night on Apollo 13 mission. I spent hours making decisions, sometimes with little more than my instinct or intuition to go on, doing everything I could to save those three souls aboard the vessel. None of all the simulations and everything they had done had prepared them adequately for what was going on. And yet every choice I made turned out to be the right one. And he told his son, of this I am absolutely certain. When I replay that night over and over in my mind, I was not alone. I did not know what to call it or how to describe it at the time, but now I do. It is absolutely clear to me that there was a presence in the room with me the whole time, guiding me, nudging me, helping me find the best path forward. And making it clear that was the path to follow. So mm. I just wanted to remind you all that, that I think faith played a huge mm -hmm. role. And in all of this, it, yep. was, it, was a, it was our greatest moment, but God was with them the entire time. Right. You know, and these were men of faith and science. Yes. This, yes, a generation of faith and science. And you know, that's, that was a nice thing is when we saw the, the priest there with Marilyn, you know, there as they're waiting, the, Faith was a comfort. They didn't, mm -hmm. You know, they didn't make it a big deal in the movie, but he, there was a, a presence there, uh, a comfort for them uh, in their faith. And uh, so that was that was nice to see that they included that and the Pope Paul, you know, as well. And uh, when they were on the ship where they all bowed their heads in prayer. Yep. That's when, true. They were, when they were all on deck, nothing was ever said. It was just you yep. saw that. And that's. Not something that's so that's it's rarer nowadays to see that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Thank you, Shelley. That was that was nice. I like that. So uh, that should do it for our discussion this time. We before we sign off, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and TV shows, including Sedani, Susan L., James W., Leslie H., and John and Greta C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give. Make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think about what we had to say about Apollo 13 and about the movie itself. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash secrets or the StarQuest Facebook page or send an email to secrets at sqpn.com. Or visit the new StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Until next time, Joanne Mercier, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Apollo 13. Thanks, Tom. Shelly Kelly, thank you as well. Thank you. And Mike Denz, thank you for joining us. Dom, it was not a problem. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. And remember... 
failure is never an option. 